Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, having a continuing dialogue with you about practical issues related to ministry leadership. I am an amateur historian, very amateur. But if you've listened to the podcast very long or read my blog, you know that I enjoy reading history. I read uh, different aspects of history that mostly fascinate me. I like to read history of American presidents. I like to read about uh, biographies of well-known Christian leaders. And then I like to just read history of significant events or significant eras. For example, recently I've been reading and writing about early Methodist circuit-riding preachers in North America and how they contributed to the Second Great Awakening. I know you're wondering, why would a Baptist seminary president be reading early Methodist history? Well, you start reading it, you'll find out how fascinating it really is. But I am an amateur historian. Today, however, on the podcast, we've got the real deal. A professional historian, a church historian, my friend Dr. Chris Chun, professor of church history here at Gateway Seminary. Uh, Chris is uh, a rock star in the classroom. Students love his classes. They enjoy his lectures. They're inspired by his stories and by his grasp, not only on history, but on the theological implications and ministerial implications that studying history has. Chris, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you, President Orch. You're too kind. <laughs> well, I'm not that kind. I'm just telling the truth, brother. Uh, Chris is uh, remarkable. As an academic, he has uh, MDiv and I think uh, THM from Gordon-Conwell Seminary and then uh, his PhD from St. Andrews and uh, just a remarkable, remarkable man who really does understand uh, the issue I want to raise today on the podcast. I want to talk today about why history matters. We're talking about practical issues related to ministry leadership on this podcast. What possibly can you gain from studying something that happened 10 years ago, 100 years ago, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago? What possibly can be gained from the study of history that informs how you're going to preach today, how you're going to evangelize today, how you're going to solve counseling dilemmas today, how you're going to answer theological questions today. Well, I believe that history matters, and having a grasp of church history is particularly consequential to those of us who are active ministry leaders today. So on the podcast today, Why History Matters with my friend, Chris Chun. So Chris, let's get personal at the beginning here. How did you become a church historian? I mean, you could have taught theology. You, you could have been and were for a while a pastor. You, Man, you could have done so many other things in so many other fields. What was it that captured you about church history? Well, a lot of times people think of history and say, wow, that's a boring subject. <laughs> I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot, too. <laughs> but sometimes I think in their childhood, the people had some bad experience with some history teacher or history class, and they decided early on that they don't like history. They didn't like history because it's boring. But I do think that church history is different. Yes. Um, and the first day of my church history class, I look at my students and say, uh, take a brief survey, like how many of you believe in Trinity, the doctrine of Trinity? Everyone, hands goes up, yep. right? And I'm like, wow, like, yeah. How many of you believe that Jesus is God? Again, everyone, hands goes up. And 
I asked students, like, why do you believe that? Like, who told you to believe that? Right. right. So um, I asked them, like, don't you ever wonder how these fundamental doctrines of Christianity came about? And this is why church history is like your family history, spiritual family history. Man, that's a great that's a great phrase. Let's just stop on that for a minute. You know, church history is not studying someone else's boring past. Church history is understanding your family and your spiritual family history. You know, at various phases in in my life, I've been fascinated by my own genealogy and my own heritage and uh, my own uh, DNA and where I came from and what that means. I think everyone goes through phases like that. But what you're saying, Chris, is that the study of church history is really the study of where we've come from, what made us to be like we are, what is in our spiritual DNA, so to speak. I love your phrase. It's your uh, spiritual family history. So go ahead. Uh, As students hear you asking that question, taking that quick survey, you say it really engages them. How does that then motivate you in continuing to teach on this important subject? Well, then all of a sudden I have their attention. Yeah. Because it matters to them. They want to learn. They're interested. All of a sudden it's less boring. <laughs> so that's why I became a church historian. You know, for me, it's more than just intellectual curiosity of what had happened in the past, although there's quite a bit of that too. Yes. <laughs> but church history of story of our faith, our spiritual history. I became church historian. Because I wanted to tell stories about what God has done, how his people have walked with him, understood it, and told others about him. Man, that is a profound statement again, Chris. And it's almost like a life mission statement that you've just uh, enunciated. You said, I became a church historian. I think you said because you wanted to tell stories about what God has done, how people have walked with him, understood him, and told others about him. Man, what a phenomenal Uh, important, significant work to commit yourself to. Well, you've been studying history as a a discipline for a couple of decades at least now. What are some really positive aspects of studying history that have made an impact on your contemporary ministry and on your daily life? What what does studying history do for you, uh, as we talk about on this podcast, as a practical outworking of what it means to do ministry leadership? Well, first of all, it actually provides a perspective. Um, I like to refer to uh, great friends in church history. If you see John Wesley and George Whitfield, um, they were uh, fiery evangelists. They would often preach outdoors, open-air preaching, and, and yet they had disagreed theologically. They had a different understanding on how they interpret God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And sometimes in our world today, some subject like this could be very divisive. Man, that's so right. Uh, You know, Wesley was an Arminian, Whitfield was a Calvinist, and yet these two men shared some of the same passions. As you said, they were evangelists, Mm -hmm. they had open air meetings, they were zealous. Uh, about getting the gospel to as many people as possible. These were remarkable guys. And yet they had very different theological perspective. Now, uh, you and I have talked about this uh, before we got on the podcast today. You know, a couple of summers ago, I I read a Whitfield uh, 
biography. That's right. Spent a great deal of time thinking about George Whitfield, and I was astounded at his relationship to John Wesley. Mm-hmm. These guys had sharp theological disagreements. They did. Uh, they ultimately even had to go their separate ways in ministry. Mm-hmm. They, they, they couldn't necessarily work together on a daily basis. But they maintained a close, personal relationship with each other. That's right. And that really modeled something for me that I think ministry leaders today so desperately need. And that is we need to understand how to love brothers we don't agree with on every single point of doctrine and theology. That's right. That's right. And their friendship all throughout their life were maintained, even they did, though disagreed. Uh, and this was most clearly demonstrated at the end of uh, their ministry. After Whitfield had passed away, he asked John Wesley to preach at his funeral. When I read that, yeah. I was just astounded, honestly, that these men uh, who loved each other so much and yet had some really sharp disagreements over their lifetimes came to the end, and uh, Whitfield asked Wesley to preach his funeral sermon. I mean, listen, let's just get practical about it. Mm -hmm. The divisions between people today over Calvinism and the Christian community are real, and it's appropriate to hold theological conviction and to discuss those convictions with our brothers and sisters, even with fervor and with uh, passion. But Wesley and Whitfield can show us that it's appropriate to hold those convictions while at the same time demonstrating Christian love toward one another and maintaining those relationships even to the point that one asks the other to preach their funeral message. I think that's a great example of what we mean by providing perspective. Another, another thing I think of that studying history does for us today is it reminds us of God's faithfulness. Um, you and I, you and I've had an experience here at the seminary, uh, related to this. You actually wrote a book called from uh, golden gate to gateway, which was the 75th anniversary commemorative story of gateway seminary. Uh, in that book, you included a story about the Conover chapel at our old uh, campus in mill Valley, California. You know, that sign was hanging above the door. I never knew what it meant, Conover Chapel. But when we prepared to move, we took all the signage down and cataloged it all and made it a part of our history and heritage as a school. It forced me to look up this Conover Chapel story. And what I discovered was that in 1952, That's right. a man named William Conover left an estate gift to the Southern Baptist Convention to be used to advance seminary education. It was about 50 something thousand dollars. Gateway Seminary had been adopted by the Southern Baptist Convention in 1950, and in 1952, that money was sent to us and literally saved our school. Right. That's how that chapel got named, and that's a story that had been lost in our heritage and in our history, but we've reclaimed it now, and you've included it in the book. This is just one example of how a story from history becomes an enriching part of our present day. And recently, I actually used this statement to remind everyone here that while we're facing new and daily challenges, God will provide. He hasn't forgotten about us. He knows about us. He'll take care of us because when we look at history, we see examples of God's faithfulness. Anything else you want to say about that story or about that whole principle of how studying church history reminds us of how God can work in our lives today? I mean, um, Conover did not think that when he gave the gift that it's going to somehow save 
the seminary from going under. That's he, right. That was not his mind. Nor did he know that after uh, many, many years, many decades later, his story will be rediscovered and being talked about as today we're doing so. So just the story of God's provision, God's faithfulness through our history, and not just church history, but our institutional history at Gateway Seminary. You know, the studying history, uh, like we said, provides perspective. It, it helps us to uh, rehearse God's faithfulness. But it does another thing that's really practical for ministry leaders, and that is it can provide illustrations for preaching and teaching. Mm. You actually uh, make this a part of teaching history here at Gateway. How do you do that in the classroom, Chris? Well, I, I, it's all in the syllabus. The students are required to do it. I mean, I have an assignment where students are doing their reading and the biographical resources and reading their church history. And I encourage students to be alert of the events of the past experience, a significant individual group, it's something that really impressed them. Like, as they're reading church history, like, wow, like, this could be a great illustration for a sermon. So I encourage, whenever you feel those kind of uh, tugging, you know, select it, uh, design it so that you could use it and, and craft it into a sermon illustration or Bible study illustration. And if you use uh, these collection of your own sermon illustrations, they get a point, extra credit for their assignments. That's awesome. Uh, another way you've done this in the classroom is you've actually challenged students to write a sermon manuscript in a first-person format as if they were the character from church history telling their story or communicating the particular insight that they had in a story or a sermon or something from their history. You've done that as well. How does that work out for you? Well, I mean, I hear a lot of things that... Uh, they never thought students would come up to me. They never thought that church history was so practical because they get to write a uh, sermon manuscript, a biographical sermon, in one of the church history figures, and as they do so, they get to know these figures intimately and how they have often modeled their ministry after their examples. You know, another example that you may not require or assign in the classroom, but I've actually seen done, is that uh, it's also possible to develop a... Uh, a presentation where you actually become the character mm -hmm. and step into a public arena and say, as John Wesley, I experienced this, or right. as Adoniram Judson, I experienced this, sure. and tell the story as sure. if you are the person doing it, right. not so much in sermonic form, but mm -hmm. in narrating a part of history or a part of your experience. Yes, first-person narrative. Yeah, those mm -hmm. are excellent, too. Mm -hmm. You know, the, uh, there's one other way that I, I comment on that studying history has really helped me with practical ministry issues today, and that is by modeling leadership lessons. And I want to step out of church history for a moment because, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I also read other kinds of history. And I've been fascinated for years and have read several dozen biographies of American presidents. And when, re when reading those, there are many lessons I could comment on, but I'll just talk about one today. Uh, when Harry Truman was president, mm. he had to establish the policies that are still in effect today for how nuclear weapons will be used. Mm. When I read that biography, it had never occurred to me that nuclear weapons had a different protocol than the rest of the weaponry available to our military. Mm. Nuclear weapons can only be used by civilian government authority, the President of the United States, giving approval. Mm. You know, the generals control all the rest of how war is conducted, but 
the use of nuclear weaponry mm. is beyond that. Mm -hmm. It's it's not a tactical decision. It's a strategic decision and really a political decision. Truman decided that. Mm. No one had ever faced that question before, but he made it uh, the law. Mm. Well, think about how our world would have been different mm. since the 1940s if in the height of battle or conflict, generals would have had access to nuclear weapons. I think our world would have been very different than it is today. When I read that story from that biography, I thought, this is a great example of how important a few leadership decisions are for charting the course of a church or an organization or even a community or a country. You know, as president here at Gateway, I make a, a lot of decisions, but most of them are just daily decisions or decisions about something that's going on this week or this month. And if you're listening to this podcast, most of your decisions are like that too. Mm. But the more leadership responsibility you have, the weightier a few of your decisions will be. Mm. And you have to have the wisdom to know that there are some decisions that are going to last, that the implications are going to last for years and that you have to get those right. And those require a special kind of reflection, and I'll also say it, a special kind of courage to make. Mm -hmm. And reading biographies, not only of American presidents, but also ch church uh, uh, figures uh, like Chris is talking about today, have given me that kind of courage and perspective to make those kind of decisions. Well, these are just some of the reasons that uh, we've been able to identify why studying history is so important. But now, let's hone in on one kind of study of history, and that's reading biographies. Because quite honestly, I know some people listening to this podcast are going to think, oh my goodness, I do not want to read another church history textbook ever again in my life. I'm sympathetic to that. I don't agree with it, but I'm sympathetic to it. I've found a great way to study history that's really engaging is to read the stories right. of people's lives. Mm -hmm to read biography. So Chris, why is it that reading biography is so helpful to us as Christian leaders? I think reading biography really helps us to be reminded that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Um, when you read a biography, say, of John Bunyan, and then you read something like Pilgrim Progress, you could almost smell the odors of dungeon cell where yes. John Bunyan was such a powerful words. I mean, how suffering in the jail had produced amazing, enduring work like Pilgrim's Progress. I mean, suffering has a way of doing that. I know another person who had written some important letter while he was in jail. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we often forget that a lot of the Bible itself is biographical and yeah, that's, that's significant. I was also thinking when you said that, not only about Bunyan, but about Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail. Mm -hmm. and that's right. Just other people who've written from uh, very significant times of personal suffering that have made you know, such a difference. I also like it that you drew on a biblical text to help us understand that when you said uh, reading biography is reminding ourselves that we really are surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses. Uh, people before us, their lives echo down to us and around us. And that passage of Scripture helps us to, to see that. Yeah. Right. I mean, Hebrew 12, 1 says, Therefore, we're surrounded by such a 
great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with the perseverance, the race marked out for us. Mm. It's a great passage, but, it, but it, in Hebrews chapter 12, 1. But just before that, Hebrews chapter 11 is their church history. Um, the writer of the Hebrews is saying, this is our church history. He's citing the Old Testament patriarch. How by faith that Abraham did something, and by faith Isaac did something. By faith Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and David. On and on. There's, he's, uh, the, the author of the Hebrew is saying that this Old Testament patriarch is their church history. They're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Mm. And as we see the examples of great Christians in the past, as we read this passage, we too are reminded that we also have race to run. Mm. But as we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, I have to say that not everything in church history have a positive outlook. Boy, that's the truth. And that, that is just one of the remarkable things about the Bible and about cr the Christian communities. We have to tell our story is we're willing to tell the good and the bad and the ugly, mm -hmm. warts and all, mm -hmm. the times when we've been faithful and faithless are even unfaithful. That's right. Some examples of that, like the Crusades, for example. Mm -hmm. Right. I could think of another example of great schism. Exactly. Not exactly Christian charity. No, mm. not exactly. Right. You know, these kind of negative experiences are, are a part of good biography of seeing a person's whole life. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we, read people, we read about people who, who weren't flawless saints. Right. Uh, they were complicated people just like you and me. Mm -hmm. That allows us to learn from struggles and mistakes, mm -hmm. from good times and bad times, mm -hmm. from positive experiences and negative experiences. Right. You know, I uh, recently read Eugene Peterson's mm -hmm. new biography. Mm -hmm. I only knew him as the person who wrote the message, uh, mm -hmm. the translation of the Bible that sold at 20-something million, I right. believe, the last time I checked. Mm -hmm. I did not really know much about him personally. Mm -hmm. uh, he describes in his biography a, a season of real struggle with alcohol use, for mm -hmm. example and some other aspects of his life that he was mm -hmm. transparent and honest mm -hmm. about, which you might have thought, well, maybe he would want to cover those up. Mm. But he had the humility and the grace to share his whole life story, right. not just the many positives, and there were very many, mm. but also the struggles mm -hmm. and the battles he had with his own pride, his own, uh, his own um, weaknesses, and with his challenges that really he always felt needed to be a part of his story. That, that was very helpful to me. Another issue that's been very important in your study and in our work here has been studying Jonathan Edwards. Mm -hmm. I didn't mention at the beginning of this, but Chris uh, Chun also directs the Jonathan Edwards Center here at Gateway Seminary. And uh, we took on a, a topic here a year or so ago that was very significant, and that is Jonathan Edwards on slavery. Mm -hmm. And we looked at what he did and said mm -hmm. historically about mm -hmm. that important issue, mm -hmm. and then where he perhaps was strong and successful in that area, and where we had some, dis some questions and some 
critiques of him. Mm-hmm. But we did that not just as historical uh, exercise, but to then talk about how that informs our work today against racism. So mm-hmm. that's another example. You want to talk a little bit about your study of that or how you led the seminary in that process? Right. So this was whole during 2020, um, and this was a hot topic during this time. And in res- response to what was going on in the social media world, uh, we thought that this topic needed to be addressed. I invited a Dr. Leroy Ganey, uh, the first trustee elected, uh, African-American professor in SVC. He's been my dear colleague for many, many years at Gateway Seminary, and I asked him to join in this podcast, as well as one of my former students who's a, also pastor, James Westbrook. He's an African-American preacher uh, and uh, pastoring at Oakland. He and myself and Professor Leroy Ganey and Ken Minkema, director of John Ever Center at Yale University, all of us got together, and Ken Minkema has done a, uh, many scholarly work in this area. So we got together, four of us, and had uh, talked about what does it mean for um, for somebody like Edwards, who is have so many positive uh, things about his life and s- such a worthy of admiration, and yet in his in colonial America, he was a slave owner. Yes. What does that mean? How do we think? Does it give a model of a Christian leadership with a feet of clay? And so we wrestle with that kind of question, and I think it was a very helpful. It was a very enriching time here at the seminary as we really looked honestly at a historical figure who has really changed American history. Mm-hmm. Many consider the great American theologian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, as you said, feet of clay, mm-hmm. and how to grapple with that contradiction to put it in its historical context, to interpret it and understand it in ours, very consequential use of biography Mm -hmm. to help shape our ministry leadership today. Here's another one. Mm -hmm. Uh, We train a lot of missionaries here at Gateway, Mm -hmm. and we promote missions regularly, and we're all a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, which, of course, has the largest missions, denominationally supported missions force in the world. Adoniram and Ann Judson. Their biographies are well-known, published, written by several. They also were people who made a global impact but had those feet of clay as well. Mm -hmm. How can studying someone like the Judsons and their missionary impact or their lives influence the way we understand missions today? One thing that that really resonated with Judson for me, um, even though they had feet of clay, I mean, nobody's perfect in many ways, is that they actually have a story that's very relevant to me. And that is something that I want to encourage our listener as they're trying to grapple with, like, I often get this question of what person should I study? Uh, Who should I study? And as I grapple with that, I would say uh, pick a person that's relevant to you, Mm -hmm. that most resemble you, the person that you resonate with. And the, the story of Judson's really resonate with me personally because I, too, have experienced something similar. Um, I was raised in a Korean-American setting, which means that I was raised in a Presbyterian tradition. Uh, If you are Korean and brought up in a Protestant church, most likely you are Presbyterian, just like if you're a Caucasian and and raised in a Bible Belt and you're Protestant, you're probably Southern Baptist. It's just the way it works. But during my uh, seminary uh, studies, I began to have a question 
And this question was very something similar to the question that Adonai and Justin had. Yes. That they had a problem with infant baptism. What is this thing? So during my seminary year, I said, you know, I need to really, um, uh, at least for, for me, to come to grip with what I believe about the infant baptism. And after about one year of theological investigation and biblical investigation and historical investigation, I came to a conclusion that I couldn't baptize infant. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to cause problems in my denomination that I was currently serving. Yes. So I left the denomination. But that means I also left my network of friends. Yes. And that was lonely. And this is why Adoniram Judson and Ann Judson's story really resonated with me. Yes. As I read Baptist history, I saw both Ann and Adoniram as one who was raised in a congregational churches and was sent from congregation, was commissioned by a congregational church as a missionary. And there, as they were going, as a, one of the first missionary from America going to India, they were they realized that when they arrived to India, they will be ministering alongside a famous Baptist Baptist missionaries, uh, William Carey, uh, Joshua Marchman, William War. They're known as a Serampur Trio, which I think they're one of the best missionary team in history. Right. Um, and as one of the first uh, missionaries sent from America. I don't know, I wonder, well, they could work together uh, alongside of these famous missionaries, but, and when they uh, go there, the first of the converts, they will be converts and we will baptize them, but then they begin to wonder, what do I do about their children in this new convert in their land? So this, solve this theological and also very practical issue, the Justin lunch into in, intense study of the scripture during the four months voyage to India, I think it's a very dangerous thing to be alone with the Bible for four months. <laughs> you it, could actually become a Baptist. The will, Bible will affect your life, yes. <laughs> anyway, as as a result of this uh, studies, uh, the just, Justins drastically changed their view on baptism. So uh, this is really resonated with me because I really, res- uh, this is where Anne writes to one of her closest friends back home, okay? She writes this, now, if you could imagine her, she is, her, her husband is about to changing his view. She's getting worried about, oh, my goodness, my husband, what is it thinking? The congregational church has said me, and he's about to become a Baptist. And finally, she is moving to her persuasion. And he writes to her friend back home, quote, Can you, my dear Nancy, still love me, still desire to hear from me when I tell you, I have become a Baptist. Yes. <laughs> and Chris, that is really almost the same letter you could have written. That's right. And that's another great example of how church history impacts us on a personal basis, helps us resonate with the struggles of others, gives us the insight in how to respond to people, and guides us as we try to move forward in what is a really, what was really for you and for the Judsons, a really pressing dilemma. Right. So that story really were comfort to me as I read about these individuals in church history. It really resonated with me and brought comfort to me. Okay, I'm not the only one. When I, when when Ann Judson wrote and she left her social network standing 
and told her friend that she became a Baptist. I am not the only one. So I want to encourage my listeners to, if they, where, should, where should they start reading? I said, pick a figure in church history figure that most resonate with your circumstances, and they could minister to your soul in a way that you've never known. Yeah. Hey, if you're struggling with where to start with a character and you don't quite know what to do, email me at jeffforge at gs.edu, and I'll uh, send you a few suggestions, or maybe Chris will, but we'll get you started. Just tell us what you're passionate about, tell us what you're concerned about or curious about, and we'll help you find a biography to get started. Now... One last thing. If you say, well, I'm fascinated and I want to get a better grasp of church history, sort of the broad overview. Chris is recommending a book today. It's called Church History in Plain Language. That's Church History in Plain Language. It's by Bruce Shelley, S-H-E-L-L-E-Y. You get that book, it'll help you to have a broad overview of the history of the church, this spiritual family that we are part of called Christian. Well, thank you for being on the podcast today, Chris. Uh, Thank you for the work you do as a church historian. Thank you for the way you inspire and motivate us here at Gateway Seminary. I hope that we've convinced you today that church history matters. And we've helped you to understand the perspective that we have on it, the way we approach it and how we allow it to impact our lives, and the way that it can make a difference in the practical work of ministry leadership. I hope you'll find a character to read about a story to think through, or maybe read this book that gives you a panoramic understanding of what it means to be a part of the Christian movement. You do that. It'll help you you to do a better job as you lead on.